Liberation. I'm your host, LaCroix Hatcher. Liberation presents Gordon Dabbs. Gordon serves as the evangelist of the Preston Crest Church of Christ in Dallas, Texas. In this episode, Gordon will talk about the origins of his ministry and the decade he spent in Brazil planting a church. Gordon will also talk to us about the ministries of his congregation. We'll talk both of John and his book, Epic Fail, Gaining Wisdom from Failures of Biblical Proportion. Please enjoy the show. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I am glad to present to you a uh, preacher that is uh, has one of the, what I consider one of the outstanding congregations uh, in Texas. I have the minister of the Preston Crest Church of Christ, uh, Gordon Dabb. He's also the author of Epic Fail, uh, Gaining Wisdom from Failures of Biblical Proportion. Uh, but we'll get into that later. Um, Mr. Dapp, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing great, LaCroix. Thank you for inviting me to your wonderful podcast. It's really <laughs> cool to be here with you. Well, thank you for the compliment. <laughs> um, hey, man, I don't was... laugh. You got to own it. You got to <laughs> own it. Your podcast is good, brother. <laughs> thank you. Um, you know, I, like I've probably mentioned before, it's, it's a quirky little idea. Um, kind of came from left field. Uh, but I, I like, talking to um kind of and when you think of the book of hebrews where they you know we have this quote-unquote hall of fame of faith um right. this is kind of what the podcast is about i want to talk to people about their lives um people that are enriching people's lives through their faith uh different things like that so it's, it ha- i've strayed away from talking always about the topics of the day or even talking too much about scriptures because as you've heard and, you know, many people have heard, you're going to be the closest thing to a Bible that the average Joe Blow will see. So it's all about your life. Um, so I've searched up and down for people with different lifestyles uh, and bring different things to the table. Um, it's easy to talk to a minister. Um, and I've gone that route and I've gone, as you've listened, uh, different various routes with people within the uh, brotherhood. Um, because there's more than just ministers out there doing work. Um, but when I find preachers like yourself that are doing impeccable work, I definitely want to, uh, talk to them. Uh, wow. so. Okay. I mean, what little bit I was able to, uh, read about you, um, it was very impressive. Um, but let's start, um, where you come from and, uh, what, uh, how does your walk with Christ begin? Okay, so, I mean, we were talking before, and I'm from the Ozarks. Um, and, <laughs> yeah, not, not the TV show. I'm not Jason Bateman. But, uh, <laughs> but I grew up in southwest Missouri, a little town called Neosho. And, uh, my dad was the town doctor. I mean, there were more, more than him. There was like 10 or 12 of them, but, but so he knew everybody and, you know, everybody would, walk up to him and show him whatever was wrong with him, you know, check out my knee or what's wrong with my skin over here or whatever. So that was just part of him knowing people and taking care of people. Uh, he was an elder in the church, um, at one time and he and my mom led a lot of people to Christ. They were like always doing like Bible studies in our house with people. Anyway, it was definitely a strong Christian home where, you know, whether we wanted to or not, (laughs) they were going to take us to church. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so for much of my life, you know, when I was little, I didn't really get to choose whether or not we were going to pray and sing and go to church. Um, But they took me. And then I went off to college. And this is probably, I don't know, LaCroix, this may be a lot of people's story. Um, Every one of our stories is a little bit different. But I went off to college and I found out that I guess you could say that I didn't really have my own faith. I'd kind of been riding on their coattails. Mm. Uh, I mean, I believed and I'd been baptized, but when I was kind of left on my own and it was my choice on Sunday morning, whether I was going to get up or not, well, I didn't always get up and kind of checked out on God for a while. But then um, just different things started happening in my life that I really couldn't explain a way where it seemed 
to me like God was pursuing me. Uh, Jesus became very real. And I mean, in a good way, and not like he was stalking me in a bad way, but <laughs> in a good way, I felt like he was coming after me. And so I finally was like, okay, I can't outrun God. Uh, you know, I surrendered to Jesus and we've been walking together ever since. And it is really great. Um, I'm sure you would agree. Waking up every day, knowing I'm forgiven, knowing that God loves me. Knowing that really no matter what happens in my life uh, here on this side of heaven, he's got my back. Uh, my future is secure with him. So I've got a ton of growing up left to do. I'm not near where I need to be as in a lot of ways, but he has definitely made me a better husband, a better dad, and just a better a better man. So – I was thinking really my story would be you've got kind of stories, I guess, that are more like the Apostle Paul, the dramatic, you know, redemption moment, road to Damascus, you know, <laughs> right. maybe they're a drug ad- addict or went to prison or I don't know, something really dramatic. And then you've got people more like Timothy, you know, who worked with Paul and Timothy got his faith from his mom, a lady named Eunice. And from his grandma, a lady named Lois, that's Second Timothy 1, verse 5. So my story would be more like Timothy's rather than Paul's, kind of just more, I got my faith from my parents, and then at some point, I had to develop my own faith. And I think for me, and probably for a lot of people, that happened when I got out on my own. But right. Yeah, kind of my story. Um, you, you mentioned some things that were going on. What kind of um, triggered the uh, spiritual awakening, if you will? Yeah. So, um, okay. Okay. So one time after I'd gone off to college, I heard this preacher. I didn't know who he was, but there was an event, uh, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I was there and Terry Rush, if any of your listeners know who this guy is, uh, Terry Rush was preaching. I didn't know he was and he preached this message and Honestly, he just preached the gospel. <laughs> you know, he just preached that we don't get to God on our own, mm-hmm. that, um, you know, we, we can do all the good work we want and, you know, pray as hard as we want, read as much Bible as we want. But ultimately, if we're going to be saved, it's because it's a gift from God and, you know, Jesus on the cross. Anyway, paid the way for that. But anyway, I remember feeling so moved like i mean really goosebumps all of that and like the gospel even though i believed in jesus and i had you know been baptized and all this stuff the Mm -hmm. gospel clicked and it made me so grateful so that was a moment um there was another moment where i had this plan for my life that i was gonna i was just gonna go to grad school and be a professor of something. I didn't really care what communication history. Um, I ended up doing grad school in philosophy and got a PhD in philosophy, but I was going to teach something. And so that was my plan. It made sense. You know, that's a good occupation. You get your summers off, you get paid pretty well, all that stuff. Uh, But then like my wife, my wife and I were brand brand newly married and, and we're like going to lead this group uh, on this mission trip and let's start talking. We're six weeks over summer. We're going to teach English using the Bible. And so we were going to go to Russia and that didn't work out. And then they were going to send us to Africa and there was a political issue down there where we couldn't get in. So they ended up sending us to Brazil, to Rio, Brazil. And I just happened when I was a kid, when I was little, like eight years old, I had a pen pal in Rio, Brazil, named Sandro. And I hadn't thought about that guy in years, uh, but I was like, oh, interesting. I had this pen pal from Rio. Would you believe that I got down there in this city of 11 million people and I ran into Sandro's mom? Wow. (laughs) I ran ran, ran into Sandro's mom, and I'm just telling you. And so then, so this whole thing's happened. I thought, well, honestly, at the moment, I just thought, wow, that's weird, you know? I mean, but I get back to the States and my wife and I get invited to this dinner um, 
and it was a group, a Christian group that was trying to put together a group of missionaries to go to be a team and to go plant a church in Rio. <laughs> so anyways, just like all of these dominoes couldn't be a coincidence. And so, like I said, Jesus was pursuing me. So I had this great, I mean, I thought it was a really great plan for my life and for our family. And Jesus just kind of ripped it up and said, no, nah, I got something different. You're going to learn a foreign language and hey, congrats right. on your PhD. Uh, now you're going to, you're going to move to this foreign country and you're going to talk like a two year old because you don't even know Portuguese. So <laughs> I had to learn this language. Wow. And all of a sudden, you know, long story short, we're planting this church. And But anyways, yeah, along the way, I think, well, for me, definitely, I just noticed God moving and I couldn't I couldn't explain it away. And I really believe I really believe that everybody, if you pay attention to different curves and turns in your life, you're going to see that God was there making something. Now, maybe you didn't pay attention to it. Maybe he put a giant road sign up and you just drove right by it, you know. Um, but I think if we pay attention, we find out that God cares very much for us, uh, and interacts with us to kind of move us in different directions. And, and I think that's the Holy Spirit at, at work in our lives. And, and so our plans, you know, sometimes he does use our plans, you know, but other times he's got something, something really different for us. That's good. That's good. So, so up until this point, you hadn't, uh, been one of these guys that's been delivering messages since he was 21. So this kind of originated in Brazil. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I have all these, I have all these preacher friends that are like, I've been wanting to preach ever since I was, I used to stand up on my mom and dad's bed and with my Bible and preach these. I'm like, man, that never occurred to me. Seriously. I never thought about being a preacher. Like it was either, it was, College professor or lawyer. Uh, my dad is a doctor, but I wasn't any good at science and math. So I'm like, that's not going to be, I'm not going to be a doctor because I don't want to hurt anybody, you know? <laughs> so I got to do something different. Um, but we get, so we're on this mission team with this group. And obviously, somebody's got to stand up and preach. Mm. And I mean, seriously, we're just sitting around talking, well, who's, you know, and because some mission teams, um, guys would take turns, like there's five guys. So, you know, you preach almost once a month and the next guy preaches. But we we had been told that's not a good model. You really need somebody to be your main preacher. So I kind of got drafted to do that. Um, and then, you know, the rest is history. So 10 years in Brazil, wow. um, something really crazy. So, yeah, you show up and you talk like a two year old and, <laughs> and then you learn Portuguese. You know, you get to where you're kind of fluent and everything. And after three or four years, we actually, I had a, I, <laughs> oh man, God is, God is so awesome. I had a TV show in Rio. <laughs> I was on Saturday mornings from 8.30 to 9. And I look back on this, seriously, it sounds as crazy today as it did back then. And, you know, so I'm, you know, people are coming to the church and then I'm, like just running into people in the middle of this city who are like, hey, you know, they knew what I was. But it's uh, it's all it is all God. I mean, it is. I am a great example. You know, like the Apostle Paul said, he had this thorn in the flesh and all this. I am another one of those examples that his power is made perfect <laughs> in our weakness. Because seriously, I am not. I'm not the most talented. I'm not the smartest guy, but somehow. I guess I'm just a witness of just kind of say yes to God along mm. the way and see what he does and believe not in your own abilities, but believe that he can um, that he can do it through his power. I mean, Amen. don't worry about, well, I've never preached before or I've never you know, been a song leader. I mean, obviously you got to have some talent to be a song leader. You can't not just anybody is going <laughs> to do that. But but you know what I'm saying? And just kind of. When you get some opportunities, some doors open, maybe that's God opening that door and and say yes and see what happens and make sure, I guess, the other thing, LaCroix, would be make sure he gets the credit, you know, where you're yeah. not 
making much of yourself. Um, we're all tempted to do that. I mean, I'm not going to point the finger anywhere else. I'm tempted. I mean, we're all tempted to, to be a big shot or whatever. Um, but just make sure that he's getting the, the glory. And I find, <laughs> I find in my own life that he does humble me from time to time. And I don't know if you have any experiences of that, but when I start feeling like I'm doing pretty good, um, something comes along and kind of puts me in my place a little bit. So oh, yeah. God, God is good. He disciplines those he loves. So there you go. Oh, I have to remind myself. <laughs> I have to remind myself of that. I'm getting this for a reason. <laughs> there you go. There you go. So 10 years. Wow. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So this would have taken you, I imagine, to your early 30s? Okay, so I'm in Brazil. So this is ni- uh, this is 98 to 2008. And when we returned to the States, I was 39. Oh, so okay. I had had um, – I had been a youth intern um, – for my hometown church, one just a summertime gig, uh, and then I had been a. I just thought that would be cool to do, and then I had done some campus ministry at. I went to the University of Oklahoma for my doctorate degree, and at the time they were kind of transitioning from a guy who had been a campus minister there forever mm-hmm. um, with the Church of Christ, and so I kind of. I was kind of an interim type of guy until they because they knew I was going to go to Brazil at that point. But the elders there did. But so so I did have a couple of ministry experiences, not preaching, but doing other things. Uh, And and then Brazil was kind of that big, you know, just a real calling from God into what I know he wanted us to be doing. So, yeah. So a couple of more questions in, in regards to that. Um, so what was the congregation that kind of set you forward to do that? So there's a church in Norman, Oklahoma, called the Alameda Church of Christ. And for sure, they had a big time role in that. Like okay. they had uh, a couple, Ron and Georgia Freitas, who they had sponsored uh, to plant a church with some other couples in Curitiba, Brazil, big city. You probably haven't heard of it, but a big city in southern Brazil. Mm-hmm. And so we do Ron and Georgia. And then Ron and Georgia, along with some other people at that church, uh, were very encouraging. Um, you know, you kind of have to wonder if they're trying to get rid of you. You know, you want me to foreign country. Okay. No, but they they really encouraged us. And, you know, you run into other voices, too. Um, I had people tell me, well, um, why are you going to Brazil? There's lost people here. And, you know, you get that kind of thing. They, they wanted us to stay. And of course, the answer to that is we're going to Brazil because we feel like God called us to Brazil. And are there lost people here? Well, yes, but you're here. Um, there are lots of churches here, lots of Christians here. And not so many down there. So that's, you know, so we had people who encouraged us. I wouldn't say other people discouraged us. They just kind of questioned, you know, they didn't have the same vision that we had. So they were wondering about that. So you go to a land that's not your own. Um, So outside of language barriers, what were some of those uh, tough challenges down in uh, Brazil? Yeah, I mean, um, very different culture. Um, interesting, interesting, great stuff. Like there's, they're very family oriented. Um, like culturally, this stuff, some of it may sound like a big deal. Some of it may not, but when you're 24 seven immersed in a place that's just different, that just has a different OS, a different operating system, um, it grates on you. And I mean, I would say, what are, you, what are you talking about? Well, time is different in Brazil, very Latin concept um, in terms of people are late all the time. And when I say late, I mean an hour late, an hour and a half late. Uh, I mean late, late, late. Weddings in Brazil. Oh, the wedding. I'm preaching at a wedding. It's scheduled to start at six. I would be shocked if you have a bride on the property by seven. 
it would be really weird if the bride is not at least an hour late. Um, so that's just the culture. And I don't, I've never really, this is funny. I'm not like British or something. I mean, I don't have this sense that everything needs to start right on time. Uh, but when I moved to Brazil, I was like, well, yeah, I don't think things need to start right on time, but I mean, kind of on time. And so that was a thing. I mean, you get into the way people dress. It's a very sensual. They had um, uh, carnival, so uh, it's just a really sensual, highly sexualized. I mean, we think America is sexualized. I mean, we don't have anything on Brazil, especially Rio, I guess I should say. Mm. Um, very into, you know, not wearing a lot of clothes and and just the body and um, affairs and sleeping around. And so that was challenging spiritually. Um, yeah, you had the language barrier you had. And then, I mean, traffic, you know, I'm sure traffic in Cleveland is not great and traffic in Dallas is not great. But traffic in Rio was horrendous. I mean, just you never knew when you got in the car, is this going to be 20 minutes or an hour and 20 minutes? Oh. And so there were just different things. Um, but I, I would have to go back to the language. That's that's definitely the biggest of like I I can't, you know, order takeout over the phone. I mean, you know, for the beginning, you know, the first few months or what are just things that you take for granted here mm. uh, are just monumental tasks. When you don't know the language, you don't really know how things operate. Um, anyway, yeah, but I, you know, on the other side, God uses, um, all sorts of things to mold us and teach us. And for sure, a lot of that stuff was stuff that he, he just needed us to learn some different things. And, and you, <laughs> you kind of have to remind yourself of that along the way so you don't go crazy. I mean, okay, this is probably God trying to show me something, trying to deepen me in some way. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, there's just, there's just frustrations, I think, to, to virtually any country that you would move to outside of the U.S. I mean, Canada, maybe not. I don't know. It's probably a lot like the U.S. I don't want to make Canadians mad, but it's probably fairly similar. But uh, Or England, maybe. But, you know, you get to a Latin country or somewhere, it's going to be really different. And, and also, you're going to learn some cool things. I mean, we did, too, just how – you know, take time for people. The flip side of everybody being late was, well, they were taking time. Um, so they were late because they spent extra time with the last person they were with. Um, they're not in a hurry. And that's kind of maybe a lesson that we need to learn some, or I needed to learn. Don't be in such a hurry. People matter more than programs, you know? Um, so that was good. And then just the way they love their kids. And that was pretty great too. You'd, you'd see, anyway, I'm going way off now, but. You'd see, no, a, you know, um, walking through the mall with her 15, 16 year old son and they're holding hands like you don't see that here. Um, we saw that all the time down there, just very affectionate, um, the parents and the kids. And so hopefully, you know, we brought a little of that into our home as well with our kids. Uh, when you were talking about the um, on top of the uh sensualness if you will and the tardiness my wife has got me trapped watching 90 day fiance and i think of these, uh, i think uh-huh. of the guys that get there and they're waiting and waiting and waiting for the woman <laughs> she never shows up or takes two okay. hours to get there <laughs> is is this the, is this, is this the show where you've got 90 days to get them to marry you or whatever yeah. that show is crazy man <laughs> that is totally nuts I get trapped watching it. Um, but yeah, I just automatically gained that visual. Um, <laughs> so you became a local celebrity. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are, you are talking to tele-evangelist Gordon Dabbs tonight. Uh, uh, when my friends really want to annoy me, they call me that. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so how many, um, congregations uh were you able to plant while you're down there oh man that's not a very good setup for me Lacroix. we planted one okay, okay that's fine. <laughs> um and it's doing great in fact we got to go back last month and they've got i mean they have they're reaching people all the time baptizing people all the time 
and they have a group of like 70 um, deaf people, you know, hearing impaired people at the church. And so when I preached down there last month, you know, it's really neat. You've got the church in front of you, but off to the left-hand side, I had this big group of deaf people, and there was a sign language interpreter that was, you know, interpreting my sermon. So, so it's been really cool to watch how that work goes. Um, but they're really, you know, it's been there for 20 years, but it's still, uh, they're still in the phase of trying to fully establish that church with, with just really mature leaders. The numbers are good down there, but to establish just the maturity level where they could actually send people out to plant churches. Um, so that's been that's been a struggle, I guess you could say. Okay, that's 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 still fantastic. Because you actually took my next question from me that you know how how are they still doing? That's good. Um, yeah. Now they're fully standing on their own. And they still have uh, people from different congregations within the United States going down there. They are most well. Okay, personnel wise, hundred percent Brazilian. There are no. American working down there, the leadership, the ministries, everything is Brazilian. They have an incredible um, piece of property and building on this big uh, street uh, that is in front of a express bus station. Um, and so it's a really nice location. Um, they do receive some funds from the U.S. still. I mean, the pandemic has been super hard on Brazil. Um, it's been hard on the U.S., but it's been 10 times harder on Brazil. Their economy has just been a wreck. And so, you know, their people in terms of their tithes and their giving have been uh, very low over the last couple of years. So they've been getting some supplemental help from the U.S. Um, but I mean, in terms of the work, uh, it's, it's Brazilian. So I'm real proud of them, what they're doing. That's good. That's good. So, um, your televangelist work, how did um, how much was that able to contribute to the growth of that congregation during those years? Um, it's hard to say. It's hard to say. Um, it generated a lot of contacts, and I haven't really gone and counted, like, the number of people at the church. Were they there because of that? I mean, let's say the, the size of the church is 150 people right now. Mm. Um I don't know, you know. I I really don't. I mean, I really don't. I I would. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe a third of the church uh, had some first contact or early on contact through the TV program, mm -hmm. um, and then you know you've got to think, you got to hope. Uh, it's kind of like the parable of the sower and the seed. I mean, we were literally broadcasting to this city of. 11, 12 million. And so you've got to hope that God was doing some other things with those messages as well. Mm. Uh, so I, you know, I could quantify a little bit there in the church we planted. Um, but, but I think the broader work is harder to quantify and that's just how God works. You know, so much seed was planted and lives were touched and, and hopefully they're in other congregations and mm. doing things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So what brought you back to the States after 10 years? We um, we got to the point in Rio where we felt like, I mean, we had already, we had always planned as a team that we all need to go home at some point. We don't need this to be a church staffed by Americans, you know, long term. And so we got to a point where we had um, installed leaders there in the church. Uh, and Brazilians. And so, and then we had this up, up and coming young guy, Jefferson She is his name, um, who was baptized, who was converted when he was 15 years old. And then I guess when he was 18 or 19, went off to a seminary in another state there in Brazil and came back and just great guy, really high character guy. Um, needed to develop as a preacher, but the only way, you know, kind of like an NFL quarterback or whatever, the only way you're going to learn the offense is to get reps. Um, so he needed to be in the pulpit and that meant I kind of needed to not be in the pulpit. So it was really time for us to move out 
and let that church become not the church of the Americans, but but mm. Church of Christ there in Rio, full of Brazilian stuff. So Jefferson has really flourished. He's a great preacher. I mean, um, if if you speak Portuguese and you hear him preach, you'll be like, that guy's good. God uses that guy. <laughs> and in fact, he sent me last night. He sent me a link. He was on the biggest Christian radio station in Brazil. They invited him um, to come and preach. So he he was. They have a deal all the time, like at thirty minutes a night, where they have one of the area pastors or preachers. You know, so he did that, and it was it was great. I mean, I got to listen to that. And he did a couple of other ones before on there. So he's he's really good, and God is. Blessing that work now and for sure, um, given the way his talents have developed and he's got a great wife and, and a good team around him there. I mean, really good things are going to happen as long as they have the financial support that they need, um, yeah. going forward. That's good. That's good. So, um, so you get back to the States, uh, what led you to your current congregation or what were some pit stops even before Preston Christ? Um, yeah, so the last six months, well, I'll go the last year in Brazil. I'm not going to break this down too much because I think it's going to bore people, but so we're kind of, we know we're going to move back at some point. We don't know what we're going to do. Um, but I was thinking at that point, I probably wanted to work with a church in a preaching role. Um, I felt like that's, kind of how God had wired me and kind of showed me that while we were in Brazil. So we kind of got our kids out of Brazilian school. We did some homeschooling and then we put them in an international school that was in English so they could get ready to move back. And probably three or four months before we moved back, I I started looking and and networking with people I knew, you know, are there churches that might, you know, I might be a good fit with them. And I, I interviewed with a church in California and a church in New Mexico. And we had really good conversations and stuff, but it, it dawned on me, LaCroix. I mean, my parents are from Southwest Missouri. That's where they live. All of our family is kind of Texas, Oklahoma, Missouri. And I just thought, you know, this is going to be weird. If like, wait, you're moving back from Brazil to the U S and you're moving to California. I mean, it just, it didn't make a lot of sense. If that's what God wanted to happen, that would happen. But we were patient, and we got a phone call one day from this church, Preston Crest in Dallas. They had been looking for a preacher for a couple of years. They were not wow. in our Prentice Metter had been here, man, I don't know, I think 17 years. Amazing preacher. He had moved to Tennessee, kind of retired, semi, was working at Lipscomb there. Um, and so they were looking and our son, this is another story, you know, maybe for another podcast, but my son was born in Brazil with some pretty serious health problems. He's, he's great. I mean, if you looked at him and talked to him today, it, it's a miracle. I mean, God is good, but he had to have pretty significant, uh, spinal surgery in Brazil right after he was born. But anyway, um, got connected with a hospital here in Dallas uh, that helps kids like my son with spina bifida and back issues and curvature of the spine, stuff like that. So it was pretty, pretty cool. Uh, pretty, pretty much a God thing when we got a call from this church in Dallas, uh, like three miles from this hospital. I mean, neither one of us lived in Dallas or were from, you know, from this area or anything like that. But it just really, since our son was in this program at this hospital and then Preston Crest called and I was coming back to speak at a conference, the global missions conference, which was in at a convention center in Arlington, Texas. And so Preston Crest sent some people out to, you know, listen to me or whatever. And um, so it just kind of went from there. Next thing I knew I was back in Brazil and one of the elders called me and we had a great talk on the phone. And then I came back and, you know, interviewed and met all the elders and loved this church, loved their vision. Um, very mission minded church, very kingdom generous. Um, just a church that is not all about itself, a church that's looking to serve. And that is really built into their DNA at Preston Crest. So I was super excited. 
and we prayed and they prayed and you know it was it's where we needed to be so this is where we've been now for um over 13 years working on the 14th year at this point nice that works out yeah all, all things work together <laughs> yeah they do um now the one thing when I was looking at your congregation's website that really yeah. uh, struck out to me um you have a really really nice sized group of men that are elders and deacons um yeah. how are you able to continue to um foster and 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 cultivate men that um that may uh that may or may not initially have that desire to do so. Like, how do you continue to, we were talking football. So how do you continue to coach that up? Right. And that's a good question. I mean, this, and this maybe is a chicken and the egg kind of, I don't know, cart and the horse, which comes first or whatever. Um, obviously we're, we're a large church. Um, we average probably 1100 on Sunday morning right now. So we've, we've come out of COVID out of the pandemic really strong. Um, so we've got a big pool of people. It's, um, it's, it's just giving you a bit of a demographic breakdown. There's some diversity in the church. Um, it skews to being pretty well educated, successful people. I mean, people that just have a ton of talents and education. Mm-hmm. And you combine that with kind of a small town mentality in the good way. Like a lot of our people weren't born and raised in Dallas. They come from all over these small towns, but work and career brought them here. So they bring this really humble, um, generous, how can I help kind of spirit, but they're also successful and well-educated. So that's one thing. Another thing, I'm going to throw some credit toward one of our ministers, Bob Chisholm. Um, Bob is – He's had a lot of roles at Preston Crest. He's been an associate minister. He's been the small groups minister, minister, still works with small groups some. But the elders have really backed him more and more in what he thinks um, is his true calling, which is spiritual formation. Mm -hmm. So helping people develop the habits that they need to grow more and more as disciples grow more and more into the image of Jesus. Now, let me tell you what that means practically. Practically, um, throughout the week, he's got groups meeting basically every day of the week. Um, several of them meet like at 5.30 in the morning, okay, because <laughs> it's crazy. But these guys have jobs, and so they have to get to work. So they meet at 5.30, and I did that. And so you meet for a year once a week, you know, 530 in the morning, or maybe if you're retired guys, it's like noon on Tuesday or something, or he does couples groups in the evening sometimes or whatever. But it is hardcore reading, 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 journaling. Um, he has questions. You do all this stuff like on your own, and then you come together for an hour and a half once a week, and you just share your experiences. You talk about what's going on in your lives. You pray about it. And I'm going to give that a ton of credit in terms of, I think, you know, one of the words you hear out of Washington, D.C. a lot these days is infrastructure. We need our bridges are deteriorating. Our roads need help. I Mm. think spiritual formation is in your church. It may be um, kind of hard to see uh, because, you know, most people, it's them spending time with the Lord alone, uh, reading their Bibles and praying. And, you know, it, it's very kind of quiet, kind of discreet, uh, behind the curtain kind of stuff for the most part. Mm-hmm. But it is the infrastructure work of the church. It's, you know, a lot of people think church is all about the big worship service on Sunday and how how great was the singing and the preaching. Yeah. I mean, that stuff matters. Obviously, I'm a preacher. I think that matters. Right. But real... Um, the really important stuff is helping each person develop their relationship with Jesus, where it's going to be bigger and stronger a year from now, two years from now. Um, they're growing it and, um, you don't want, you know, you don't want stagnant Christians 
And, uh, you know, I think a lot of our churches, we don't have a real plan to grow disciples. So you end up with just kind of people are just kind of parked. I mean, they're kind of the same as they were 10 years ago or whatever. I mean, I don't mean to sound like judgmental or whatever, um, but I think, you know, the Lord wants us to grow and develop our faith. And, you know, we're saved. Hallelujah. But we don't just stay where we're at. We grow in terms of, of knowing him more and 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 having more faith and and being able to listen and discern his voice in our lives and and grow in ministry and so spiritual formation is a big part of that um and then you know the, the other part of that which I won't expound on much we have a lot of ministries and uh places to serve all kinds of things and so we can do better at this but I think we do pretty well at encouraging people to not just you know sit on the pew on Sunday morning, but to actually serve. Mm-hmm. So that's probably some of the stuff that we do. But out of that, yeah, out of that, we have a really strong group of elders. I love these guys. I mean, they, the number one thing my elders do, and I think there's 12 of them right now. Um, these guys, I mean, that's not, it's a very biblical number, but it's purely by accident. I mean, I think we had a guy uh, move away, you know, a while back or whatever. So, but we have 12 elders and they pray for the church. I mean, that is last night we had an elders meeting and that is what they do for two thirds of their meetings is they pray over anything that they learned about on Sunday. And then they pray another prayer over things that they just know about that are going on with church members. You know, somebody's reading, somebody is going through chemotherapy, somebody's marriage has been in trouble for a long time. Uh, they pray about the Ukraine. They pray about the world. Um, and then they pray over one of us, one of us ministers each week. They have a special prayer over one of us and over our ministries. And we tell them, you know, what our struggles are and what we're going through. So they are definitely men of prayer. And, you know, we go back to what we were talking about earlier, LaCroix. This is God's project. You know, this is Christ's church. It's not ours. Um, and so it needs to be powered by him, which means we got to be on our knees. We got to be praying. We got to trust, you know, we're going to do our part. Yeah, for sure. But we got to trust that his power is working through us. And so I love working with guys like that. And then of course we have a, we have a bunch of great deacons and they just have little assignments, you know, things that would fall through the cracks, but really need to be done. Um, we, we assign deacons to those areas and, and they're very important as well. So there's there. And then there's, of course, women, you know, women are the, you know, just make it happen. I mean, volunteering and serving and helping us out in so many areas, leading in different ministries as well. Um, we're, we're really blessed. I mean, we really are. Uh, we just not just, you know, talented people is great, but it's really about the heart. Will those people serve? Um, if talented people don't serve, you know, they're not really of that much use to the church. Yeah. Uh, but when they give of their money and they give of their time and our people do, man, our people do. And so that's, I think, the number one thing that that's happening at Preston Chris right now that maybe makes it special, if you would, you know, where there does seem to be a really good energy at our church right now. That's real good. That's real. And, and yeah, I was going through the website and I was like, I can't believe that many men. Um, and I counted 43 deacons. Sounds about right. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That's, that's very impressive. You guys are got a good thing going. Um, and you said 11, wow. 1100 people. Um, it's neat. It's neat to, I, I mean, I, it's, it's cool. Like in Rio planting a mission church, um, so much depends on you. I mean, there aren't, a lot of mature Christians there. So, you know, you're not only preaching, but you're plumbing. I mean, the, the toilet is stopped up, so you're going to fix that. And you're going to, I mean, you do everything and it is amazing to finally, you know, be at a church where there are all these leaders and, you know, I could disappear and the church is fine. You know, they're, mm-hmm. they're great because there's just so many people that have talents and are willing to use those talents. So, so, so you're kind of like the early apostles. You don't have to serve tables. <laughs> you just dedicate yeah. yourself to work. Yeah, man. It's, that's, it, it's, that's, it's, fan, that's fantastic. Six flavor to it. I mean, 
I get to do, you know, preaching and just really thinking about the vision of the church and working with our staff and trust that all of this logistical day-to-day operational stuff is being taken care of by people way more competent than me. So I don't have to worry about it. Um, and one other ministry that I thought, um, I don't want to bore everybody. I'll provide everybody with the websites. Um, but one of your ministries out of about eight, um, that really caught my eye was the cover Dallas with love. And I know this is your ministry per se. Um, mm. but tell the people about your cover Dallas with love programs you have at Prescott. With pleasure, and we did not set this up, but uh, um, you just brought that up out of the blue, and I'm so glad you did okay. because we are, you know, whoever you are, think about where God has placed your church. God has placed Preston Crest, he's placed our church in a large city in one of the three or four fastest growing cities in America. Um, so like it or not, we are an urban church. Um, and so we we need to think about what that means and how do you love your neighbor when your neighbor has a different skin color? Uh, how do you love your neighbor when your neighbor come is a transplant from overseas? Uh, we have a lot of those folks. How do you love your neighbor when they're of a very different socioeconomic level, and that is Dallas, Texas. I'm sure that's Cleveland, Ohio as well. And so cover Dallas with love. Uh, one of the guys I work with, Gary Cohorn, um, Gary Cohorn, it looks like Cochran, but they pronounce it Cohorn. Mm-hmm. That guy has the biggest heart for people. Um, I'm telling you, man, so – he is – he doesn't minister to homeless people. He has homeless friends. I, I would put it that way. Hmm. Yes, he serves them, but they are his friends. Um, and so he is always in the city um, and getting us – getting our people out into the city in places of need. Here in a few weeks, we're going to be part of uh, – Cover Dallas with Love is this umbrella for all of our urban ministries – uh, it started out as we're just going to collect coats and blankets and hand those out to homeless neighbors in the wintertime. And then cover Dallas with love. We still do some of that, but it became so much bigger. Um, like we're going to join with Christians from around the city in an event called Transform Dallas. And we're going to go. We've got a neighborhood in we're one of the like four or five organizations that's kind of sponsoring this. And so we're going to a quadrant of our city and we're going to be out painting houses, you know, doing repairs, um, taking food around. But honestly, LaCroix, the big thing is none of that. The big thing is, is meeting our neighbors and yeah, we're going to do this stuff, but really it's building relationships going forward so that they know that we care and that we're listening to them. Another Ministry that's part of this, just under this umbrella, Cover Dallas with Love, is Dallas Dinner Table. Um, and we get groups of people together that are ethnically diverse. Mm. And we sit around at tables and we have questions. We have these conversations with people who have very different backgrounds, who look very different from us. And they're, they're not easy. <laughs> they're not easy questions. Let me tell you. Um, mm. you share your experiences, you share your perspectives. And you get to know each other. And so Dallas Dinner Table, it's actually uh, a nonprofit, but we are one of their big sponsors. And so we're, we're putting on their events uh, all the time. And we've hosted some of our own like versions of that with all of the, the racial stuff that's gone on uh, in Dallas and, and around the U.S. over the last few years. We've hosted um, some other groups on our own that, that, that have these kind of conversations where we're talking about things, uh, we're praying together, we're getting to know each other. So Gary Cohorn has, uh, he's our, I'm trying to think what his title is. I think he's our urban ministries or community minister. I don't know what his title is exactly, but that's what he does. And he leads us in that. And I mean, we've got to grow in that. We know Jesus is calling us into that. 
I'm grateful to my elders for supporting him and supporting those works. Mm. And hopefully we get to do more and more of that um, moving forward. Um, you mentioned something and I, this was not on the table of any questions at all, but, um, considering you're in Dallas, um, yeah. we are of the church of Christ. Um, how did the situation with, um, both them, John, how did that affect the saints in the Dallas area? Did you okay. have, a, and did you have a relationship yeah. with anybody by any chance? Yeah, and and Gary, uh, well, we did. First of all, Gary was very involved all the way through. You know, we got a a street, the street in front of the Dallas police station. We got that renamed Botham John Boulevard, um, and we worked together with our all kinds of churches um, of Christ and other churches in Dallas to make that happen. And Gary was a big player in that. we had uh, we had a number of young people at our church who were friends with him uh, mm-hmm. from starting um, other. We had two or three people that were really close to him because they worked together with both him, John. And obviously his death was a horrible tragedy. Mm-hmm. But um, the consequences of all of that, it's been very unifying for churches of Christ around Dallas. And I mean, and it was really cool to take on a project like renaming the street and to actually, <laughs> to actually be successful with that. Cause that stuff's hard to pull off. And, uh, you know, God brought us together and we were able to get that done. And I know his family is still obviously crushed and, and grieving and, but what an amazing guy he was a leader a worship leader at his church, uh, Dallas West Church Christ and, and just a big influence in the Church Christ community around Dallas. And, and his death has really been honored by so many people, um, who've just been inspired by his life. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I follow, um, I follow his sister on Instagram and, um, all the amazing work that she continues to do um, in his honor um, mm. would have really loved to have her on the show, but um, very tragic, very tragic. And, and considering you guys are uh, ground zero for where that happened. Um, well, I would say this LaCroix, like um, his sister, his brother, they modeled God's grace in a way that and are still modeling it in a way that you just don't see very often. I'm sure you saw mm. at the trial of Amber Geiger, you know, she killed she murdered both of John. She yeah. killed him. I mean, she didn't mean to, I don't think, but um it was a crazy set of circumstances. But she killed him. And his brother, you know, at the trial Asked the judge, can I go hug her? And, you know, he went over there and they embraced for like a minute, dude. And it was it was Jesus. And I know he felt that from his heart. Um, he needed to do that. I can't imagine the healing that went on in that moment with Amber Geiger. But he also modeled for the world. Look, there is no way that kind of love and forgiveness and compassion is possible except um, through the cross, you know, and that's our faith is fueled by Jesus and his sacrifice. And so her family has just been in, I mean, her his family has been incredible in modeling the love of Jesus yeah. in a horrible set of circumstances. So hats yeah. off to them. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I would, I would love to say in all my Christianity to say that I could do that. Um, but what that young man did took a huge amount of courage and a huge amount of faith. Yeah, it did. Um, and I can't say that I would have had that faith in that moment, you know. So um, yeah. definitely, like you said, hats off to them. Um, and hats off to uh, you and your team and the efforts y'all put forth to uh, memorialize him. Um, so just to back back just a little bit and go forward. Um, so you went to Preston Crest in 2018, come 2013, you have a book, Epic Fail, 
Um, yeah, 2008, I got there, and then 2013, wrote that book. Yep. What was the inspiration behind it? <laughs> okay, so you, you, you said the title earlier, Epic Fail, um, Learning from Failures of Biblical Proportions. <laughs> and I am a guy who I have learned so much by watching other people, not only their successes, but their failures. And I like to, you know, I think it's way better if you can learn from someone else's failure than you having to go through that yourself. And (laughs) I think the Bible, you know, and I think the Bible, God just tells all of these stories of fallible, frail, you know, sinful human beings um, some of them have very redemptive stories. Some of them don't. Um, but either way, in some of their worst moments, there's a lot of wisdom there. So I was just thinking, I don't know that I had seen a book and still don't know of a book that was really focused on the failures of men and women in the Bible. But yet scriptures, you know, high def, like detail these failures. So why aren't we just kind of stepping back and saying, Hey, instead of you having to massively blow it, why don't you look at Rehoboam or Nabal or Judas Iscariot or, you know, why don't you step back or Jezebel and Ahab? You know, why don't you step back and learn from them? Uh, and then I think for each of us, you know, you can't be too proud to do that. It's very easy to say, well, you know, that guy was that guy was a loser. I would, you know, or that I would I would <laughs> never do something like that. <laughs> but I think you gotta you gotta go in with some humility and say, oh yeah, that could be me. I mean, yeah. maybe not maybe not Jezebel and Ahab, you know. But I mean, some of those stories, um, I have moments of pride, I have moments of foolishness or selfishness or whatever, and you know, so I want to learn what happens if that's not under control. You know, what yeah. happens if I remove that? from under the lordship of Jesus, and I just kind of give that free reign. And there's all sorts of stories in the Bible about that. So the idea was just kind of learning from from a bunch of those stories. I think there's, I don't know, 11 or 12 of those stories in the book, different chapters. And so kind of working through it. And then, you know, if groups or Bible classes wanted to use that, and some of them have um, that I've heard about from different places, you could, there's discussion questions and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, that was kind of the idea was just learning from other people's mistakes. Okay. Okay. Um, any new ones on the horizon? You know, (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know. Uh, let me, let me be totally honest. So writing a book is hard. Now, if you want to go, I know that sounds like, of course, but I mean, if you want to just go self-publish something, you know, I threw this together and I'm going to, I mean, that sounds really derogatory. I'm sorry. Maybe, maybe there's a great self-published book out there, but I mean, if you want to just put something together and pay for it to print and hand it out to your friends, that's one thing. But if you want to publish something through a traditional publisher, which this was, um, it's hard. <laughs> it is, it is really hard work. And so I, I've thought about it. And in fact, I've got an idea. I don't I'm kind of just letting it ruminating on it in my mind to see if it's a good idea. But kind of the idea of the second half of life, um, there's so much emphasis to given. I mean, given to, you know, the the first half of life where you make a decision. Am I going to follow Jesus or not? Who am I going to marry? Uh Am I going to go to college or which college will I go to? What career do I want to do? Am I going to join the army? Um, but very little attention except for talking about like money, like your retirement and stuff. Very little attention is given to the second half. But I mean, I don't know if you're an NBA fan. I'm a big NBA fan. Uh, oh, the game, the games aren't decided in the first half. The games are decided in the final minutes of the game, you know? Yeah. Um, and that, and so I'm, I'm thinking, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just thinking a book might be interesting about the second half of life, about as you get older, um, what are the things you need to think about preparing for the last 
you know, the last few minutes of, of the game, so to speak, the last 20 years of your life. And you think biblically, I mean, Abraham, that's when, you know, <laughs> that's when he moved into high gear, man. That's when everything happened was in the, when he was over 75. And so, so many great stories in scripture, um, involved and Sarah as well, you know, involved that, you know, maybe, God's best work, maybe it happened when you were 28, but maybe it's going to happen when you're 68 or 78. So anyway, that's just an idea, and I don't have anything beyond that. I don't have anything beyond just this rough. I think that's interesting, and I might I might want to do something with that going forward. I'll have you back on when you do it. <laughs> okay, man. Um, and I guess the last thing, um, I'm going to let yourself promote yourself. Tell the people about your website and i saw that you guys have an upcoming trip to israel Ooh, you saw that <laughs> i'm all over it <laughs> yeah yeah oh dude there's cool stuff um so kind of the best way if you want to learn more about our church if you want to listen to my preaching and stuff would be we've got a youtube channel just preston crest you know search that on youtube and it's really taken off during the pandemic and um, our team does a really good job keeping things looking sharp and up to date and all that on the YouTube channel. Uh, I've got a blog. Honestly, I don't think it's particularly good. Um, so you don't need to go to my blog. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's okay. I put stuff up there sometimes. The Israel trip. So I've been twice and the last, uh, group, my wife and I took a group of, I think, 38 people in 2011. And it is amazing. I mean, I don't think I need to sell anybody on it. I mean, just seeing the places where this stuff happened and like Jesus actually went through this gate. You know, he walked up this staircase or that, you know, this is where he walked on water. You know, when you're up at the Sea of Galilee, I mean, it's it's incredible to to see yourself and just visualize those Bible stories in the actual place. So we went in 2011. We were going to take a group in March of 2020, but this little thing called COVID-19 <laughs> happened. I mean, we had our plane tickets. We had a wow. group. We were ready to go. And I want to say it was two or three weeks before the go date, and it got scrapped. Israel closed. Oh. They didn't let anybody in. So we're going to go in April of 2023. Um, you can look on our website for more information. I mean, or you go to PrestonCrest.org backslash Israel 2023. Um, and you can get or just email me, Gordon at PrestonCrest.org. Um, we're going to have a great time. And so we'll go in somewhere toward the end of April 2023 when it's not too it's not too hot. And the places over there won't be too crowded that time of year. So um, it's something to think about and uh, check out. You know, I don't think you have to do that, you know, in your life, but it's pretty neat. If if you're in a position where you can afford to do that and take some time off, it will definitely um, it will definitely deepen your faith and enliven um stories from scripture that you've read your whole life it, it'll definitely do that yeah, i would love to be able to go um I, f- I felt that kind of way when i went to the ark encounter and the creation museum um yeah they've made um if you if you don't know they made a replica set the tip of uh northern kentucky southern ohio um who put this together um, Ken, um, Ken Ham, Ken Ham. Yep. Yeah. He put together these two projects and they have an exact replica of the, uh, of Noah's Ark. And it just, it, it took my faith to another level. It's like, wow. wow. I got to get out there. See that. Yeah. It's fan. It's fantastic. Um, that's it. I appreciate your time, sir. Well, thank you for having me on. And I, you know, I just pray God's blessings on this ministry that that he led you to this podcast. I hope it grows and you're you're sharing the good news and you're talking about real issues that Christians are dealing with and mm-hmm. keep it up. Keep it up. Yeah, you you're quite the popular guy on Twitter by the way. <laughs> <laughs> 
Twitter. Yeah, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> Got 16,000 followers. That's... I just try to keep it positive. I'm not going to troll and get into arguments <laughs> on Twitter. So it's uh, Twitter can be a very nasty place. Oh, so yeah. Just keep it positive. The international tele-advancers. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right, man. All right. Good to have you. Take care. Thanks for checking out this episode of Liberation. Subscribe to the show and follow Liberation on Twitter and Instagram at Liberation underscore pod. Liberation is sponsored by Doodlebugs by DaVita. Thoughtful handmade jewelry designs inspired by love, peace, and unity. Shop Doodlebugs at doodlebugsbydavita.square.site. And for the Etsy lovers, it's doodlebugsbydavita.etsy.com. Use the promo code LIBERATION and get 10% off your order. Follow Doodlebugs on Twitter at doodlebugs for you. That's doodlebugs, the number four, the letter U. And Instagram, doodlebugs by DeVito.